Hello, it's me saying welcome to the shit show and our supernatural montage a chaos, sometimes porn. Wait, that's on the podcast, never mind. Oh, I didn't need a mother. You know, seriously, we gotta have a montage of just your entrances. <laughs> oh my god, that's how it's not porn, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, welcome to Monsters May Vary, otherwise known as The, the Show. show. <laughs> Merchandise coming one day, and there will be a shit show mug, we promise. Hello. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show show, Melinda. Do you have anything you'd like to say? Yeah, Anchor wouldn't pop up, so now I'm on Chrome. I don't know how well that's going to work out. Yeah, about probably as good as it always does. <laughs> Welcome to the shit show. Well, you missed my whole little song and everything, Mindy. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, let's and as Corey was saying, we will eventually have merch, and I have the greatest idea ever, and it's going to be perfect, and we will try to figure that out to get that out there. Maybe next year, I don't know. At this rate, probably. One, one day we will have merch, and our crap, now our food in the group, and everything will be great. <laughs> So, it's been long time no talk. Um, everything in the universe decides it hates us. Um, from yeah. COVID to death to other things, and I'm not going to sit here and make excuses, but tonight we are going to talk about real-life possessions and stories that come from other people of demonic possessions. And a lot of these people might actually have heard about because they are pretty famous and some of them have led to movies and things. So it should be fun time. Oh, her chrome did not work. Oh, sad. Well, would you like to start us off with our first exorcist? Our first exorcism? Sure. So, the first story I have is from Germany. In 1842, a girl named Gottlieben Dittis. Well, I guess not really a girl. She was 28 years old when this happened. And she, at first, was claiming that her home was haunted. And she began slipping in and out of trance-like states. And a religious pastor performed exorcisms on Dittis. And she basically went nuts when this happened. She became violent. She required physical restraints. And over two years, she had exorcisms performed on her. She would vomit random things like glass and nails and blood. But what? the whole... <laughs> um, so, yeah, the demon finally eventually left her, but the whole thing in between was kind of, you know, interesting. So we'll just go through the whole thing of Gottlieb and Dennis, if I'm even saying that right. But it all started in the spring of 1842. Uh, the pastor, Johann Christopher Blumhardt, 
that was doing the exorcisms in 1842 was advised by parishioners to investigate the strange going-ons of the Dennis siblings' home. Four of them, Gottlieben, Anna, Maria, Katerina, and Hans Jorg, lived together in extreme poverty, and they were orphaned. There would be noises and lights that turned on and off, and Gottlieben started acting strange. She didn't respond warmly to the pastor, so he left her alone. But the neighbors still complained about the noises and the strange happenings at the Dittus house. One day, Gottlieben fell down ill, and the activity increased. Blumhart went and told the siblings to stay with relatives overnight, and that he and trusted congregation members were going to search the home, and they found strange objects that pointed to dabbling in the occult magic. They prayed, but it did not seem to improve. Gottlieben fainted later and began foaming out of the mouth, and she had delirious fits but would come to and appear sane at times. Johan refused to negotiate with the terrorist holding her hostage. He was convinced that the devil was at work in Gottlieben. When she fell in a trance again, Christoph yelled in her ears, Place your hands together and pray, Lord Jesus, help me. We have seen long enough what the devil can do. Now let's, we have the desire to see what Jesus can do. And after this, Godlyben regained consciousness and joined the pastor in prayer and settled down again. His strategy didn't really change much. The prayers were always short and simple and spontaneous, and he avoided any ritualistic and magical talkings. He didn't attempt to gain power over the evil spirit or Gottlieben, but he only invited her to to emerge from her possession. If the spirit tried to talk, he told it to be silent. He didn't engage, and he left if they refused. Gottlieben continued to suffer from these attacks. She would pummel herself, choke herself, spit, like she was trying to purge something from within. She lost weight to a dangerous degree and nearly hung herself when she became so depressed from all the stuff going on, which I that seems to be the case with a lot of these I'm seeing as they do usually try to take their own lives. Um, almost a year after the pastor visited, she began to vomit the objects like sand and needles and glass and shoelaces. And they also started coming out of her skin, like these needles and pins, but they didn't leave marks, which is really strange. Then by Christmas of 1843, the battle for Gottlieben had lasted about a year and three quarters-ish. So this had been going on a long time, and this girl was going through all this trauma. Gottlieben's sister, Katharina, and brother Hansdorg now demonically were assaulted. Christoph prayed with and for them. Katharina was trying to tear herself to pieces, like clawing at herself, all this sort of violent acts. At 2 a.m., Katharina bellowed loudly and doubled over backwards and shouted in a strange voice, Jesus is Victor, Jesus is Victor. The possession on them was broken. All the siblings were fine. Gottlieben eventually became a town kindergarten teacher. So even after that, she was allowed to, you know, 
live a normal life. So, yeah. It was like almost two years of basically torture for this girl. Oh, yeah. Um, Depending on what a person does to try to rid themselves of this presence. It can be a long battle or a very short battle and, and can get very, very horrifying. The thing that really kind of weirded me out the most is like that she was having pins and needles and all this other stuff actually coming out of her skin. I mean, you can explain away her vomiting it. Like, did she ingest a bunch of things to try to gain attention for some reason? But you can't really give any rhyme or reason to why things would be emerging out of her skin like that, I don't think. Not without a lot of, you know, sur- you know, surgery and stuff like that beforehand. You know, hey doc, I want you to surgically put these pins and needles throughout my body so that way I can just randomly start pushing them. Yeah, but I don't think back then they'd do that. No, they would do that now. <laughs> I mean, there are some questionable doctors, so maybe they might. Agreed. I mean, especially if they're paid enough, be like, hey, I want to scare my cousin. I need you to do this. I need it by this date. And they got to start working themselves out, so I need this many months beforehand. Like, I, I don't know how that all works. But in 1843, I highly doubt that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. No, that is uh, definitely terrifying, for sure. Yippers. So, who do you have for us, Corey? We'll just go back and forth here. We're going to go... How many of you out there have seen the movie The Exorcist? I know my cohorts haven't seen it. Um, Nope. Love the movie. Horrifying. I've watched some of it. I just, I can't bring myself to actually make it all the way through. It's well, got a bad presence in the room when you watch it. It does. It feels like literally it's inviting something in and I don't like it. Well, after reading the real life story that this is actually based off of, so The Exorcist was actually a novel written in 1971 by William Peter Blatty, and it was actually based on a real-life possession from the late 1940s in the United States. That was done on... Uh, they actually changed the, the young, young child's name to Ronald Doe. That was a 14-year-old boy. Um, and... Uh, they actually, in oh, December of 2021, actually released his true identity. And it was Ronald Edwin Hunkler. Um, and Ronald lived from June 1st, 1935, and actually died May 10th, 2020. Oh, so he's fairly recent. Yes. Um, so, in mid-1949, several newspaper articles printed anonymous reports of an alleged possession and exorcism. 
Universe is thought to be of the family's former pastor, Luther Miles Scholes. Um, according to one account, a total of 48 people witnessed this exorcism, nine of them being Ju- Jusu, Jesuits. I'm guessing that Jesu is a priest, uh, it's a religious, uh, priest from a specific type of Christianity, I believe. Um, so, in the early life, Ronald was born into a German Lutheran family. Um, during the 1940s, the family lived in Cottage City, Maryland. According to Thomas B. Allen, or Roland was an only child and depended on adults in the household for playmates, primarily his aunt Harriet. His aunt was a spiritualist and introduced Ronald to something when he expressed interest in it. You guys want to take a wild guess at what it was? A freaking board? A Ouija board. I knew it. That's why we say, do not mess with them. I don't know. Mindy has people at her house that want to mess with it, and I'm like, no go, no go. (laughs) It's a bad idea. Absolutely. So, after his Aunt Harriet's death, the family experienced strange noises, furniture moving on its own, and ordinary objects such as vases flying or levitating when the boy was nearby. The family turned to their pastor, uh, Luther Miles Schultz, to help. Um, long interested in parapsychology, uh, Schultz arranged for the boy to spend a night in his home in order to observe him. Um, when another para Parapsychologist J.B. Ryan learned that Schultz claimed he'd witnessed household objects and furniture seemingly moving by themselves. Ryan wondered if Schultz unconsciously exaggerated. A parapsychologist, study of alleged psychic phenomenons and/or other uh, paranormal claims uh, that are example. Of that are related to near-death experiences, uh, S-Y-N-C-H-R-O-N-I-C-I-T-Y. I can't say this. I can't talk today. Words are hard. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, it's a psychiatrist who believes or who uh, works with uh, paranormal and near-death experiences. Um, uh, Ryan wondered if what Ryan quote wondered if Schultz unconsciously exaggerated some of the facts. Schultz advised the boy's parents to see a Catholic priest. According to the traditional story, the boy then underwent numerous or a number of exorcisms. Edward Hughes, a Roman Catholic priest, conducted an exorcism on Roland at Georgetown University Hospital, a Jesu institution. Um, 
during the, the exorcism, the boy allegedly slipped one of his hands out of the restraints, broke a baton spring from under the mattress, and used it as an impromptu weapon, slashing the priest's arm and resulting in the exorcist ritual being halted. The family traveled to St. Louis, where Ronald's cousins contacted one of the professionals at St. Louis University. Oh. So Bishop, which I'm trying to figure out who Bishop was. Oh, the priest that he had seen before. Okay, the family, the family pastor that they knew essentially, um, who in turn spoke to William S. Bodern, an college, an associate of College Church. Together, both priests visited Roland in his relative's home, where they allegedly observed a shaking bed, flying objects, and the voice speaking in guttural voices, and exhibiting an aversion of anything sacred. So he hated crosses, he hated everything religious. Yep. Um... Boder was granted permission from the archbishop to perform another exorcism. The exorcist took place at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis, Missouri, which was changed to South City Hospital. So, hey guys, maybe that's a, uh, a road trip spot we have to hit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before the next ritual began, next exorcism began, another priest, Walter Halloran, was called to the psychiatric wing of the hospital where he was at, where he was asked to assist Bodren. William Van Roe, a third uh, priest, was also there to assist. Halloran stated that during the scene, words such as evil and hell, along with other various marks, appeared on the teenager's mind. Allegedly, during the litany of the spirit, or of the saints portion of the exorcism ritual, the boy's mattress began to shake. Moreover, Roland broke Holoran's nose during the process. Holoran told a reporter that after the rite was over, the anonymous subject of the exorcism went on to leave a rather ordinary life. Meaning that good Sir Roland actually lived, you know, obviously a very long life, you know, just passing in 2020. Um, but yeah. So, this movie that is terrifying to so many people is actually based off of this young man's fight. Yeah, that makes it a little less terrifying. Not. I was going to say, are you, are you joking? <laughs> There is nothing not terrifying about any of them. <laughs> but at least he got to live a long life, you know, afterwards, because a lot of them don't actually get that luxury. Absolutely. So, in 1906, there was Clara Germana Seale. She was a 16-year-old. Huh? I said, is it your Clara? No. 
Oh, God, I hope that'd not. That'd be cool. <laughs> anyway, she was a 16-year-old from South Africa, and she was an orphan. She was heard to be making a pact with the devil, and then she soon began behaving erratically. She started tearing her clothes, speaking in tongues, and demonstrating superhuman strength. A nun said that she spoke in languages that she didn't even know. In 1906 and 1907, two priests tried to exorc- tried exorcisms on Clara, and her skin burned when it was touched with holy water. 170 witnesses saw her levitate. A noxious smell was observed leaving her body, and she was deemed free of evil. So the smell, it kind of reminds me of, like, sulfur, probably. That's all I can think of. But she could understand Polish, German, French, and Norwegian. The nun reported Clara demonstrated clairvoyance and revealed transgressions of people she had not even met. So she, like, all I'm picturing is, like, you know, she told some man that, you know, the baby was the milkman's or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. She just knew things that she shouldn't. Um, she couldn't stand any kind of religious items. She threw nuns around the convent, and she'd make an animalistic screaming sound. Clara was said to levitate about five feet off the ground, vertically, horizontally. And when she came out of it, she finally came out of it when she was sprinkled with holy water. Two Roman Catholic priests, Reverend Mansweety and Erasmus, did a two-day exorcism. The first interaction, there were knockings of Bibles from the priest's hands. And she grabbed his stole and choked him with it. They forced the demon out, and Clara was finally healed. And she lived six demon-free years. Then she died of at 22 of heart failure. So, see, some of them don't get that long after, and you figure, probably because it does a toll, like Corey said before when we've talked about demons and demon possessions and stuff, the toll that it takes on people's bodies both physically and mentally. Yeah, so it's not surprising. Yeah, no, it can definitely definitely turn into a very sad situation very quickly. So, the next one I'm going to touch on, I haven't been able to find very much of anything on it, but it's one of the more recent ones that I found. Um, but it's from 1990, um, and it was known as the Exorcism of Gina. Reverend James Labar oversaw three exorcisms, all sanctioned by the Archbishop of New York, Cardinal John O'Connor, and the Vatican. One of them was the exorcism of a teenage, Florida teenage girl named Gina. Uh, a Florida teenage girl named Gina, and it was televised on ABC Network in 1991. Newsweek described the ceremony, which was accompanied by medieval style music, as little more than a gracious torment of a deeply disturbed young girl. Strapped to a chair, she screamed and barked on intangible 
and intelligibly while the reverend pressed a cross onto her face and told her supposed demons that if they want pain, he'd give it to them. Meaning, of course, the helpless Gina. Ultimately, it was the antipsychotic drug that gave Gina relief. So, but, and then what I was just reading on this other article, um, they, they were, they'd been sprinkling holy water over her and, you know, praying and, then a psychiatrist went in there and said, here, let's give her this, see if this helps. And gave her a drug and they continued with it and then all of a sudden she was fine. And they, you know, one half of it, one half of the coin says, oh, the exorcism worked. The other part's, oh, she was just psychotic and needed drugs. So, one of those situations where, you know, uh, they actually did a poll in 1990. Um, 55% of polling people took and said that they believe in Satan. 49 said they thought people are sometimes possessed by the devil, um, but don't believe that the devil would take time, you know, has more important things to do than possess a, you know, troubled 16 year old. So that's one of those where Definitely shows all the signs um, of a possession, and you know both sides are giving their arguments of what is what. See, I just really don't understand that though about the whole oh why would they waste their time on this person? But it seems like a lot of the times it is like we've talked about before, young girls. Yeah, I mean, minus um, the. I mean, any, any, anyone young, yes, and then uh, middle-aged to older women, um, which blows my mind because, you know, mentally they're stronger than us men most of the time. Um, but again, I, I think a lot, of, and again, this is my perspective, a lot of it stems from, you know, a man's physical being can be strong enough for to, you know, be possessed for a longer period of time um, without the body breaking down. Right. I mean, maybe. But with that being said, though, even that throws me off at times because you women can go through a pregnancy and still be up the next day, well, all right, let's go run 10 miles. Not me. Not me. After I had mine. Nope. <laughs> I don't mean legitimately the next day, but I mean, I, I, I've seen some amazing pieces of strength from both men and women, but the amount of wear and tear that this type of thing puts on your body, it, it is extraordinary to see that I mean even the first two that we read I mean, live to you know have some some form of normalcy in their life. I mean uh Roland lived for almost what was it eighty years um when he finally passed and it's <laughs> like that that's that's crazy to think of. Yeah. 
I don't know. So the whole thing about demons not wanting to waste their time on just nobody, it seems like a lot of the times they just pick whoever they can. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and it could be someone as, you know, a little boy, you know, playing with a Ouija board and, you know, hooking into them that way and then not coming out for a long period of time and all of a sudden out of nowhere, boom. Um, it could be, you know, they take and, you know, make it happen immediately. Um, I mean, this, you know, this guy lived to be almost 85 years old, even after all this stuff happened to him. Um, so it, it, it all just really truly depends on what, one, which strength of entity is doing the possessing, but also the strength and will of the person who is fighting for their life. Um, with any type of possession, um, that's what it is. It's fight for your life. Um, because um, this this entity is trying to make you suffer and, you know, take over your body and do these horrific things. And the more you fight, the more they try to um, manipulate your mind and your body to do whatever they want you to do. And it's, it's terrifying to think of. Um, and, and terrifying to think of the amount of damage that it can do to your body. So, yeah, don't make packs with devils. Don't play with Ouija boards. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's basic. Say that enough. Do not play with Ouija boards. Speaking of Ouija boards, Mindy, I didn't tell you, but I told Corey earlier, maybe I sent it to you. My kid was practicing her ABCs, and the way she did it, it was kind of like curved and then she had a Y and an S but she put a square around them and I'm like I'm not sure if we're practicing the alphabet or if we're making a Ouija board like I was mildly concerned this morning that's terrible so I have another one we will talk about Anna Eklund very well known and documented case of demon possession an exorcism. And it was known as the Erling Possession. So Anna was born in 1882 in the Midwest of the United States, and she was raised heavily Catholic. Um, she had always been known to be charming and cheerful. And then when she reached 14, all of a sudden she started having these really strange and unusual behaviors. And Basically, things that pointed at possible possession. And the first symptom that she had was an aversion to anything that was religious in nature. So she once went to church all the time, and then now all of a sudden had fits whenever she was confronted with a Bible, holy water, anything, even imagery. And she couldn't enter a church. She would start blurting out, obscene things that were detailing depraved and unspeakable sexual acts that she couldn't have even known about at that time, or at least they didn't think she did. And she began to have an insatiable and unhealthy interest in sex. 
So she was demonstrating knowledge of different languages, too, that she didn't know about, like Latin and German, and she was never exposed to. In 1908, she seemed to be completely under whatever this entity was that had taken her over. Like, there was nothing there that would make you think that she wasn't possessed. Like, her father and there were citizens that claimed that her father and her aunt were secret practitioners of witchcraft and that they had made a curse for the girl at an early age through spells and special herbs and sprinkled them in her food. Supposedly, it was because her father was mad that he could not get his daughter to have sex with him, which is really gross in its own right. And that kind of explains, like, it kind of almost makes me wonder if she wasn't being, like, molested or something, the way they talk about how she got very overly, like, sexual and stuff like that. Right. Or, like, if he was trying to coerce her and all that stuff ahead of time. But the advice of medical and psychiatric professionals were sought, but no one could find anything that was wrong with her, no reason for these outbursts that she was having. And then a religious council was requested so they could begin the first exorcism, and that was about in 1912. And during this, Father Theophilus Raisinger Raisinger? I don't know. I'm butchering this. He was able to successfully cast the demon or demons out, but it was only temporary. Like, they kept coming back. And it was claimed that her estranged father and aunt worked with the dark magic and called and injected spirits back into her for vengeance. Over the next few decades, she had troubles that kept returning on and off, and they would get more intense than they were before. In 1928, at the age of 46, Anna, who had been basically destroyed by this unshakable evil, she finally asked Raisinger to do the exorcism again. This time, he got help because he wasn't sure if he could actually do it by himself because it was such a very powerful demon. He went to his friend, Father Joseph Steger, to beg him to join him to confront the evil forces. And Steger grudgingly accepted, like he didn't really want to. He was kind of nervous, too. And then Anna was placed in a convent that was ran by the friend's Franciscan sisters where the exorcism was to take place. Then in August of 1928, the proceedings began. First, or from the beginning of the second exorcism, Anna was immediately repulsed by holy water and crosses and absolutely, absolutely refused to eat any blessed food. And she could supposedly detect it even without being told that it was. So, like, they were putting, like, holy water in her stuff. And she would know right offhand what ones they did it to. She would curl up in a corner and purr and hiss like a cat. And she supposedly climbed walls like spiders. 
and then she was forcefully restrained to a bed and tied up. As soon as the exorcism began, Anna is said to have went unconscious and that she levitated and stuck up against against the ceiling with so much force that it took several people to actually pull her back down. And even though she was comatose, basically, her body, there were voices and wails and growls and screams that came from her even though there was nothing moving in her mouth. Like, it was just like her body was expelling these sounds. Like, this is the stuff of nightmares, I swear. She also vomited, rancid liquid, um, spat constantly and clawed and bit anyone who came close to her. At the same time, her body began to change in appearance. Her eyes were bulging out. Her head and lips were swelling. Her abdomen was distended to the point where it seemed like it might explode. And then it would just go back to normal. Just randomly. She'd go from looking all sorts of messed up to going back to normal. And this was documented by people that actually saw it, I guess. But that in itself is there's no medical reason for it. <laughs> like I, I don't know. And her body was said to inexplicably increase in mass until the iron frame of her bed groaned under her weight. So she'd like randomly gain a bunch of weight and then lose it. And it's just all sorts of weird things. And she had other classic signs of demon possession, like the superhuman strength. And then she was speaking all these languages that she didn't know or that anybody knew that she knew. And the exorcism lasted three sessions that were spread out across the 23 days. And Anna was apparently possessed by at least four different powerful entities, as well as a horde of lesser spirits. One of the prominent entities introduced itself as Beelzebub, also called the Lord of the Flies. And one of the seven princes of hell, who claimed to try and encourage the exorcist to to complex philosophical debates and mind games. So he'd sit and like just talk to them and try to get in their heads. Another one was supposedly Judas Iscariot and that was the one who betrayed Jesus and he was trying to get Anna to kill herself and he wanted to take her soul to hell. And then there were two other spirits that they say was her dad and her aunt. And apparently they just, again, were trying to mess with her because they were mad at her. Um, The spirits, apparently, they foretold that there would be a car accident that Steger would be in, and they taunted and insulted everyone that was in the room. Um, There were swarms of flies, and... It was just intense, I guess. Uh, everybody was scared, the priests, the nuns. Nobody nobody wanted to stay anywhere near her. And they'd work in shifts to try to make it so they had to spend less and less time around her. Father Theophilus was the only one who actually spent more time around her trying to get this demon down. And he finally got them to leave 
and Anna came out of it and praised Jesus. Father Steger wrote all this down in a 1936 pamphlet in the it was called Begone Satan, a Soul Stirring According to Diabolical Possessions in Iowa. And that was basically to be used by other priests to try to find signs of demonic possession. So it was kind of like a manual, I guess. Yep. <clears throat> Essentially passing on information of how you could, you know, possibly tell some. But yeah. That just had the whole, like, sticking the walls, and I would have left that second. I don't think I would have stuck around at all. Yeah, no, it, it can be very ter- very terrifying. Um, so, I don't know how, how true this one is, okay? But in 2015... In Argentina, a church uh, officials church officials filmed the exorcism of a 22-year-old woman that they just named uh, Laura. Um, in the video, you can see Laura wither in pain, banging her head, screaming profanities. At one point, she actually turns to oh, where did I read that? Uh, turn to one of the robed. Um, Women looked at her and called her a whore. Uh, reportedly was trying to bite, um, people's outstretched hands, was, you know, fighting them tooth and nail. And there's actually video of it. Um, kinda wanna see this video. Huh? Kinda wanna see this video. I am seeing pictures of it and it's, it's almost as if it was I don't want to say that it wasn't an actual thing, but normally exorcisms aren't recorded because there's a chance that the demon can leave the body, embody the video, and travel throughout the video. Okay, so we don't want to watch the video. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I, I don't know if it's truthful. Um, from everything that I was reading, everything seems like yeah, this is something legit. Um, but yeah, it's just like you're looking at the some of the pictures from the video, and um. You can actually tell they're struggling to keep her pinned down and everything. So, yeah, it's just... Be careful what you look at on the internet, guys, because there there are chances of shifting that can happen in real-world situations like that. So, Well, and that makes sense, too, because I know... Um my family is fairly religious, and I know my uncle and stuff always talked about, like, things you watch on TV can open doorways. Absolutely. Um, That's why I won't watch The Exorcist. Exactly. I've watched The Exorcist, and nothing has come at me from that. To you. Yeah, just you. 
And, you know, it won't happen to us. <laughs> I mean, Linda Blair got possessed for uh, starring in it, so. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it, uh, you can definitely, I mean, it, it's not something to mess with. Um, a lot of the exorcism movie, the exorcist movies that are out there are actually all based on real events. Um, uh, the Exorcist of Emily Raw, Emily Rose, um, is based on a real life possession. Um, I know there's a couple other ones that they've come out with recently, and I mean, definitely, definitely look into stuff. And and but I will flat out say it one more time. Um, if you are or someone you know are having issues with that you can't explain, seek out a pastor or seek out a priest. Um, don't try to do it yourself. <laughs> don't do this at home, guys. Yeah, you're, you're not Constantine. <laughs> um, you're not going to And that being said, there are so many more of these cases, so we'll probably end up doing a part two because this barely even scratched the surface of the ones that people could hear about. Four different ones that on a list of 12 that we found. And this list that we used actually came from mysteriousuniverse.org. So if anybody actually wants to go there and read more or see what else is there. There's a lot of different cases there. Yeah. And the article itself is written really well. Um, I closed out of the article, but the bottom of the article has the author's name on it. It's Brent Swanser. 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 Oh, that's not the one I was looking at. Oh. Um, oh this one was written by Lauren Ka. Ka? Um, October 4th, 2021, and it's actually from readersdigest.com. Uh, this is the one I was looking at, so. But yeah, join us next time for something else spooky. We're not sure what that'll be yet, but I'm still waiting for Bigfoot. Bigfoot is a big subject. You promised me aliens, too. Yes, but that's we got to get together and actually do it together because, like I said, there is so many different things. Like, I think the aliens would be a multi-episode thing too. Oh, absolutely! There's a lot of stuff because that we can do multiple ones on. I think a whole a whole episode would be dedicated to just Roswell. Oh yeah, especially with all the stuff that just got released on it, and the FBI being all in it, like right. <laughs> But until next time, guys, good night, sleep tight, don't play with Ouija boards, and don't let the demons bite. Bye. Yeah.